0: There we now go. Now I'm seeing. Now I'm seeing the actual. Um... I've got it. All right. I'm going to redo that. Everybody, welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. Uh, we've got a special guest tonight, Peter Stroud. Peter, now we see you. Dave, now I see you. Uh, sorry for the issue. Um, I'll get that sorted out. How are you, Peter? Great. How are you? Good to see you, Mark. Good to see you, Dave. Good to see you,
1: too. Yeah, man. Cheers. Been a while. Cheers. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hear it's margarita night for you, Dave. It's margarita night for me. I, I, I that just uh, got, to, you know, I literally uh, at five thirty. I'm like, I want a margarita. <laughs> so I hurry up and ran to the local store. <laughs> yeah, and got back <laughs> here in time to make it. And Mark's That's like, great. okay, I'll text you in a couple minutes. Give me five minutes. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta make my drink. <laughs> I'm always
0: running for the computer to try to get there on time. That's <laughs> right, and then I rush to then I rush to get us on on live, and then I screw something up. It's just uh, it's been my kind of week, but anyway, <laughs> so
2: that's that's how it works. That's how it works. So I was saying, yeah, Friday night is margarita night. Usually here at our house, we uh, we go through the whole ordeal: lemons, limes. Oh yeah, simple syrup, the whole nine yards.
3: Nice,
2: Grand mm-hmm. Marnier. Oh, so, uh, yeah.
1: That, yeah. Okay. That good. That now, too- if I just had some chips, some guacamole, some salsa to go with everything, it would be doing great. Oh, yeah.
2: Great. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's the. Uh, t- wife t- is playing uh, poker online with folks. She's, she's figured out how to do it on Zoom. She normally hosts the game here at the house on Friday nights or about every other Friday night.
1: Oh, so she's hosting poker on Zoom.
2: Yeah. So, what they did is they figured out this whole routine to be able to do it on Zoom. That's great. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very involved, but they're, they're having an actual game with the the same, uh, cast of characters that would normally be coming here to the
0: house. So it's a busy house on a Friday night here. That's, that's, that's great. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I assume you guys play some music too, I imagine, right?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Upstairs. Definitely. And yeah, it it always gets a bit festive. We have a good time with it. I'm down here in the basement usually, make a noise.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: do you have a studio there or something or anything? Yeah, or we'll... you call it that. It's sort of sections. I have my area where I'm in now, which is where I have my recording system all set up and everything where I do that into things. And in the middle of the room, I'll show you later if you want. In the middle, I keep all my amps and that's where I mic everything. And on the furthest end, it's a a long room. And on the furthest end is my workbench, which
1: usually ends up being a catch all. Right. (laughs)
3: That's
1: awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's, uh, I wish I had a basement. (laughs) Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah.
1: I grew up with basements, but I don't have, there's no basement in California, really. I was going to say, there's no
0: basements in California, right?
1: Well, I mean, there's some in some really older houses and and things that, Hmm. um, like mansion style houses, you know, um, but the average house, no, there's none. Yeah, Ray, raise, raised, uh, raised, raised, uh, raised foundation. Yeah, generally, that's how because they're made. They're all made after the war, pretty much. Like, like everything in the valley, most of it, if it's older, it was made in you know the the late forties. Right. right. So it was a. Well, I mean, one would say cheap housing, um, so to speak. Well, but but by today's standards, um, uh, made quite well. Right, <laughs> exactly. What not the same something? kind of not the same kind of cheap that is is now uh, <laughs> in standard building, <laughs> full dimensional lumber and things like that. Right. You know, if anyone knows what that's about,
0: <laughs> you even lost me. At full dimension. Full dimension. <laughs> Lumber
1: used to be like a two by four. Used to be two by four.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Like uh-huh. exactly. And, uh, and
2: now it's like one one by three or one and
1: a half or something it's like, like that. yeah. It's one or one and three quarters by uh something. Yeah. It's not. It's it's milled down a lot. Amazing. And they are also like square edged. They were. If you look at the old timber in the in the house, you just go, "Wow, that looks like a solid ass piece of wood," mm-hmm. compared to the also wood of two by fours these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true, it's true. And, the, and then also on the outside of the damn houses here. They at that point in time, it wasn't s- so stucco is prevalent in California, right, for building houses, but it wasn't stucco then. What it was was actual gunite, which is what they make your pool out of. So um, they would spray gunite on the side, which is solid, hard-ass yeah, concrete. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not going anywhere. So y- you could literally hit the side of the house with a sledgehammer as hard as you can swing it, and it would just bounce off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't ask me how I know this. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago, I had to put a door in where a window was. Oh really? And that would be your
2: way of discovering that it wasn't that easy to chip away that guy.
1: Uh, no, it's thick. It's 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 a couple inches thick, hmm. and it's solid, hard. You know, it's what they make a pool out of. Yeah. Wow. Mm-mm. Yeah.
2: You know, that's an amazing old house, and I I think the Echo Park area is James Troussart. I don't know if you guys have ever been over. Oh
1: there. really? Oh. oh no, never never have. Beautiful it's guitars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man. And it's it's
2: it's a cool area, and he seems to have a uh, uh, pinnacle sought-after house there that, you know, he's been in forever. Hmm. Kind of deep. Right. That's where he got it way before any of the values up. That's where his shop is, the whole nine
1: yards. His guitars way are super cool. Th- yeah, super cool. W- way before the house prices went through the roof. Jeez. Right, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, his guitars are great. They are.
2: Do you own any? Do you own any? I do. Yeah, Uh, I own two right now. Two that he made for me in the past over the years.
0: Um, One of them, it's really cool. Get it out of here.
3: Yeah,
0: they're unique.
1: This one, I like the ones that are the steel tops. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that looks awesome. That's killer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where it's Wait, wood- what pickups are in those? These are TV Jones.
3: Mm.
2: Oh, they are? Some custom TV Jones with the rail magnets. Oh, oh. Huh, I've never seen that. Uh, and this thing twangs. It's not a super high output pickup. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a really unique sounding guitar and great playing. Oh, cool. That's super- cool. Cool as hell looking. But when I was in a shop one time, I saw this top where he had just engraved the top
1: mm-hmm. the dragon on it and I was like please. I want that please <laughs> well that's for someone else no no that's mine <laughs> <laughs> it was probably that way I
2: convinced him somehow fortunately
1: awesome. I've heard this conversation before <laughs> with other people, <laughs> all right. No, no, you don't understand. That one's mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but make, that's... make make the other person another one. <laughs> that's right. Thank you for making that for me.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are great guitars, man. Um, are they heavy? No, no. It's you
2: yeah, know that was fine, and and the ones that are all metal are you know they're hollows. They're not heavy either.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, but no, that one's a great weight. That's awesome. Yeah. So, look, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Uh, Your playing, your tone. um, Thank you. Yeah, you've just uh, you just seem to have uh, really tasty. You don't overplay. You you just have like the right part for the song all the time. So, uh, I think that's a that's a great skill to have. You know. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to commend you on that because. as a, as a fan, I love you playing and glad to have you on the show. So, again, cheers. Yeah. Cheers to yeah. that. Cheers. I appreciate that a lot. Mm-hmm. It means a lot. Yeah. So, um, how did you hook up with Cheryl? Uh, I
2: first was playing, just prior to Cheryl, I was playing with Pete Droge from the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. And this was in the mid 90s. And uh, we toured. As her opener, he had already been out with her for a month. At at a certain point, and then when I joined Pete's band, uh, that um then later on that was in '95 I joined Pete's band, and then in '96 we did a month with her again when her second album came out. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's how we first met. We did the month tour and you had a blast. Everybody got along great. I just kept in touch whenever they come through atlanta i would go by and see them and then out of the blue in 98 just as things were starting to wind down with pete and pete was actually uh, wanting to just stay off the road for a bit and uh i got a call from her management said hey she's putting a new band together and uh, offering you the job if you'd like it and that was that was how it started next thing you know it came out to la and rehearsed uh around the corner from you Dave. what was uh
1: Leeds over at Leeds Oh yeah that's yeah. the that was the best rehearsal place ever I mean I can't explain how good those rooms sounded Really uh, yeah they sounded great do you remember You no because no. it was
2: all new to me then you know Yeah no I'm
1: man those rooms they were tuned right. They, they they had the elevated they had little elevated wood stages and yeah. you know, so it has that, that wood hollow thing, you know, like a theater has kinda, you know. Yeah. And, um man, uh, yeah, the big room there and the two smaller rooms were amazing. God I missed that place. It was too bad It got torn down it and well, it's too bad. Yeah. I mean it, that's... it it is now a an apartment complex. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> that was needed. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Right. Because
1: uh-huh. right next door was Andy Brower's. That's where I, I was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm well, there. actually, wait a minute. Probably not by, what was it, this mid-90s? This was 99. Oh, yeah. No, no. I wasn't there by then. But uh, January I there. 99. Yeah, I wasn't there anymore, but... Um... But, yeah, I was earlier.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, cool. That's why I know Leeds so well. Now, was this a rehearsal studio for, you know, for touring acts or, like, for anybody?
1: Uh, it was mostly a touring rehearsal studio. Um, I mean, anyone could rehearse there. I mean, technically. But, I mean, there's only three rooms. Mm-hmm. So there's two smaller rooms and a bigger, much bigger showcase room. And, I mean, I... I mean, STP used to rehearse there and and, and uh, Steve Lukather and all sorts of people, you know. But wow. it's, it's like everyone rehearsed there.
0: Yeah. We were and there. It
1: was for... right next to Andy Brower's where I worked from 1988 through like 1991 or something. So you got to go and, there all the time. Well, yeah, because well, they have vending machines.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: you know. The soda machine and the snack machine, so, you know, you'd be walking over there all the time, you know, like, during your day, and like, yeah, let me get a little soda. <laughs> <laughs> Did
0: you ever check out the bands rehearsing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was working with some of them at the time and stuff, and, you know, I remember Steve Stevens rehearsing with uh, this Japanese artist there for, like, a few weeks. Mm. Um, I remember, yeah, Toto rehearsing there, and, God, I can't remember everyone.
2: Yeah. Man, I bet that'd be amazing to uh, well to hear when you'd walk in there.
1: Yeah, it was. You know, you know, it's interesting sometimes when you walk in rehearsal studios like that when you're there for something else and you have some amazing artist playing in the other room and you're just hearing it through the walls. You know. Yeah. I remember. I remember distinctly sometime maybe in the early '90s. Um, I was at Third Encore, rehearsal studio. And um, I don't remember why I was there, but I was there. And in one of the rooms was Whitney Houston. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah. And man, she was singing. It was it was like a holy crap moment, you know? Like you're oh, just like, imagine. oh my god, listen to her voice. Mm. And, you know, you're just hearing it right off the mic through a, P, you know, through a PA coming through the walls, cutting through everything. And you're just like, oh, my God. Unbelievable. Like, you know, because she was an a, amazing singer.
3: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah.
1: Um, Bigger but, than life. Bigger but, than Damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was amazing good. Amazing
0: voice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really
1: cool. I, had, I had an
2: interesting stumble into rehearsal. Uh, probably the most interesting one for me was way back. This was when I was in high school, and, and we took a trip up to New York City with with my high school drama drama class to go see all these productions, and uh, we were staying at the Hotel Edison.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And uh, heard this music, you know, in the ballroom area. I heard this big jazz band playing in, you know, uh, one of the meeting rooms or ballrooms, and so I peek in the door and there's Maynard Ferguson, you know, directing the band.
1: Nice. What
0: happened? Okay. Wow. Wow. That's, that's what you see in New York City, in the yeah. way it's set. So. Maynard Ferguson. Wow. So did you stay and watch? Or- oh, I could
2: I mean, you should have seen all the eyes darting at me.
1: Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> Oh, speaking of that, I got a good one too. So I was in, I was at the Beverly Hill. No, not the Beverly Hills hotel. The, the, um, the, the, the big, uh, there's a big hotel at Wilshire and um, Santa Monica there. The, was it the Hilton or something? It was the big Beverly Hills Hilton or something. They have a big ballroom in there, and I was there um, doing something for Rusty Anderson. And uh, and Rusty was obviously playing with Paul McCartney, right? So Paul was there, you know. Paul was there, mm. and I got to watch from the sidelines Paul McCartney and Tony Bennett do oh. do this song together. And oh. man that's amazing <laughs> another like little pinch you moment you're just like what am i watching oh my god <laughs> this is amazing
0: <laughs> yeah that's yeah. insane like yeah that's a crazy moment that is
1: yeah. a- it and totally totally crazy it was i don't know if it was some for some sort of benefit or something that they were doing because um, they were doing it at this hotel so obviously it was like an award thing or a benefit thing or something
3: yeah
1: um but uh, uh that was super cool yeah. Super, super, super cool.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So hey, going back to um the Cheryl Crow stuff, just real quick. So what was it like for you getting that gig? Were you like blown away? was this like you know, like a dream gig for you? I was just curious, like what, at the time were you how were you feeling about it?
2: Oh, I was I was tremendously excited and you know, it was at that whole time, it, uh, you know the, the Pete Drose gig. I'm playing with Pete, who's still a, you know, he'll be a lifelong friend. He's still a really close friend, and and we ha- we had an amazing three years, an incredible touring, and that was uh, a a real learning curve for me too, playing wise and and touring, and making records and so forth, and then. Just as he's wrapping up, then I start playing with Cheryl, and that was a big leap forward because she had, had was writing on the success of her first record, and I heard a lot of the songs and still remember where I was when I heard the songs kind of situation, and, and so yeah, I was really excited about it, and coincidentally, the guitarist who I took the place of in Pete's band uh, was Jeff Trott, who left Pete's band to start writing uh, was Cheryl okay. for the second record, and so when I when we toured in '96 and got to know her in the band, Jeff was in the band, and then it was Jeff along with a few others, you know, that had left to do other things or whatever. Uh, in '98, I guess that uh, he's essentially who I replaced in her band. So uh, it was an interesting, it's that whole small world kind of deal. Right. It's, but going into it, of course, you know, she was she was on up there and, and, and the whole level of things and, you know, the whole process of rehearsing for two weeks. And then the tour began in Europe, in Stockholm, Sweden, and, and we did two days of a pre-production at their Roundhouse Theatre in Stockholm and, in January when yeah. the the days are hours a few hours or so and then uh, uh you know it was it was a whirlwind to say the least and then then we're off and running on a month long tour in europe and then yeah you know, the year took off in there and it was one amazing experience after another for that entire year you know and, and more of a learning curve. I mean, uh, I appreciate you saying that about my playing, but playing with Pete and Cheryl in terms of playing with a little bit of reservation was, you know, was what you had to do. I mean, I would listen back to uh, live tapes, and I'd just be like, what the hell did I do tonight? Why the hell did I play that crap, you know? And <laughs> And it, it would be just disheartening. I just I was like, "Oh my God!" And so then I'd work on the songs the next day. And it would mainly be just playing less. It would be the thing, you know. It'd be mainly more just things, you know, just vibrato, just stuff that would bug you, you know. And so I found that it was it was initially very demeaning to listen to live tapes, but then it was also the most helpful thing. <laughs> so. Interesting. That was like the learning curve, you know. Was just getting getting beyond that to where I could listen and listen to live tapes and go, okay, I'm happy with that. I can deal with that. That's okay. It could be better still, but I can deal with that.
0: That's cool. Was it was it more driven by your own ear, or was that something driven by say by the by the artist?
2: I'd I'd say my own ear, but at the same time, you you can tell, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like there there's a level of expectation, and so you know when the compliments start coming in it was a little bit later <laughs> right 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 <laughs> you know they're being the congratulatory hey that was great we had a great gig this and that but you know when it was like okay i think i might be you know sinking in a little bit here i might be getting you know a little more into the foundation
0: right you know. right well, that's, that's it just takes time what about gear like when you join a band like that are you able to bring your own um, persona and sound That's too. actually
1: a question.
0: That's yeah. That's actually a question. So when
1: you when you joined Cheryl, what was what what, what was the setup on the initial tour? Um I am unfucking believable.
3: Oh, good.
2: <laughs> I brought out which I s- still have a a JMP 21250 watt yeah. uh you know Marshall combo. One of the fond Tolex ones, and oh,
1: cool! I love those.
2: Yeah, it's a great amp, and a um, and with her, and I'll su- uh, one of the um, 68 trim. What do they call the chrome trim 68 super reverbs? Oh, what they call yeah, it. the drip edge. Yeah, and as and a super reverb, and you know, in the years prior to that, I was when I learned how to monkey with amps and do my own preventive maintenance on them at least to keep the vintage amps working and, you know, studying, what was it? What was the big, uh, I should have looked too much. Remember, remember there was a, it was a vintage mag. Might've been the early vintage guitars. I think it was, it was the early vintage guitars and that were mm-hmm. a newspaper like, yeah,
1: yeah, that was a vintage guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And there would be the guys in there that would be, you know, telling you how to do all the mods and everything,
1: and yeah, you know, to, the, to the fenders and everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So I I I learned a lot of that because my first vintage amp was a Plexi e fifty watt, and I remember dropping new tubes into it and say, "All right, here we go. Let's fire this thing up." When ping, and then just <laughs> watched them just light up in the back. They were these. Oh giant, yeah,
1: you have to bias them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, I see all right, I guess there's a few things to learn and then with previous bands was on the road and was taking the old heads out and there'd be troubles and long story short i there was a uh, there is a technician here' an amazing and he's a studio producer engineer too now Jeff Bakos and he taught me initially pretty much everything I needed to know to get started working on amps, and I studied electronics books and stuff on the road. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to get my old amps working and do sort of mods to them to get the sounds I want. And so I had modded, I had turned the Drip Edge '68 into a pre-CBS circuit, and, mm-hmm. and the Marshall JMP was a '76, 50 watt, which was not a great master volume circuit. It was no. a pretty happy one, yeah, you know? and so I redid it with more of I, I messed with that and made it with where it was just a post preamp type master mm-hmm. volume and then changed some of the values on the front end and all that. just really simple stuff and you know, but made it sound good. It's still a great sound on amp and so I used that amp and the super Reaver for the entire year. Tour and uh, then after that with Don Henley, same ring.
1: Hmm. Someone actually asked that at, at some point in time here too about the Don Henley thing. So, yeah, did so you just, play with Don Henley? when? Uh, and,
2: well, that would that would have been two thousand. So oh, okay, toured all the way through ninety nine with Cheryl. Mm-hmm. She decided to take two thousand off and. Uh, And then in January of 2000, I just happened to get a call uh, about auditioning for for Don, you know, see if I was interested in that, you know, and uh, same kind of deal with that, that, you know, it was interesting with that. was there was a lot of guys that came in and I was like, yeah, right. I'm not going to get that gig, whatever. If I do great, if I don't, you know, and it was actually Cheryl that put in the word for me, she Mm. She, you know, like, uh, you know, Don had actually called her to see if it was okay, you know, because Cheryl had played with Don
1: on a previous tour as a backup singer.
0: Right. Yeah. They worked together at some point. Yeah. And Don
1: Don is very particular, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He is. And I tell you, that was the thing I learned from seeing Don. Yeah. I had seen the Eagles back on the Hotel California tour when I was in high school. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they sounded like the record then. And when I saw the building the perfect beast tour, they sounded like the record. Period. Mm-hmm. And I mean, did not deviate one bit. So I knew that going in. I said, okay. And he's and he even said, he called me personally to audition and uh said, Cheryl says you can Xerox a record, and that's what I'm looking for. <laughs>
1: Wow! Perfect. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> I said, okay, and you know, I liked his, I yeah. liked use of the word Xerox. That tells you something,
1: right? I re- I remember Pete Thorne telling me because he played with him later. Yeah, and, and he, he, he told me he goes, yeah, he goes, if an, an effect wasn't quite right for the part, Don would pick it out. Oh, as total. It was if like that's wobbling too fast. You know, or something, yeah. you know, like... Yeah, I'll give
2: you an example. Um,
1: yeah, one note out of place, and you he would know and look at you.
2: <laughs> yeah, like Sunset Grill. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know if I have the key right. You know, he does bends. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, I can't remember it now, but they were just like that kind of bend because on the recording it was one of those rolling synth guitars, mm-hmm. so you couldn't bend it far otherwise it would start tracking, you know, and doing right? It,
3: brrr,
2: you know, kind uh-huh. of thing. So, obviously, I wasn't using well, I wasn't using a rolling synth guitar for yeah. the story, I was so you quite had to mimic it, and it wasn't quite to. No, yes, so I used the fuzz box and echo and did yeah. all the stuff to get the sound. It sounded really cool. It worked fine. But that Ben, you know, he, 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 I did maybe just a little too much. He comes up to me and he goes, Peter, it's just like just a little bit. And that was when I went, got it. You know, and, it was, <laughs> you know, and I totally respected it. It was, you know, it was, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You yeah, bought yeah, it. I yeah. mean, you think about how much work. And then I came to find that that solo was originally a trombone solo. Oh, really? And, and that was what they had recorded first. And uh, it didn't quite work out. It didn't, you know, they lived with it for a while. didn't quite work out. And then I, th- I think it was Danny Korchmar who ended up replacing it with the synth guitar. and But they supposedly, reportedly, just copied the trombone solo verbatim. Hmm.
0: Wow, oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's got to be tough to replicate. Exactly.
2: Well, and again, it was another big learning curve. You know, you can imagine that 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 whole experience was just another one. Yeah, another big learning
1: experience. Right. Yeah, he, he he's a tough, he's a tough, tough bird. Yeah. So if you get it right, you, you get it right. If you get it right, and you're golden, then. Yeah, everything's great. It's like, Well, you know, I've always said that with people, you know, with bosses over the years or with everything over the years, it's like, I remember people went, back when I worked cartage days and things, I remember people not complaining about the boss and complaining about him and complaining about this. I go, man, it's real simple. It's really, really simple. Listen to what he tells you and do it. <laughs> yeah, that is the boss employee relationship <laughs> right. summed up in just really simply. Listen <laughs> to what he boss. says and just what? do it, too. And then you'll get a reward, which yeah. is your paycheck. <laughs> so, so uh, it, 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 it's not it's not like, oh, you know what? You know what I think you should do, you know? Um, yeah, No. Not your place, right? Right. You know what I'd like to do? Um, do that on your own gig. Yeah. And right. by the way, go go to your own gig now. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have one anymore here.
0: <laughs> yeah, you gotta know the gotta know the rules. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: well, you gotta nice. know if if you're employed by a person, you have to know your place, and that person's the boss, and it's very simple. It's really cut and dry. In my book, that's how it is. It's cut and dry. Yeah. I know a lot of people uh, have this wishy-washy um, employment idea. Oh, it's friends. like they don't it's, it's just not it's not about what you think. They're not asking you your opinion. If they ask you your opinion, then give it. But if not, keep your mouth shut. Do what they say. And the
2: level of ownership they want you to take is they want you to own your part as you're playing it. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they want you to play with that kind of conviction. You know, I equated it playing with him, but, the, you know, they don't want you to particularly always to deviate from it. Now, Cheryl's different. That I'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, with, with Don, you know, I equated it until like doing Broadway theater or something. You're not doing Broadway music by any stretch, but... You know, those guys are doing the exact same thing every single night. And they are, you know, their parts or whatever. And so what you try to do is you simply try to excel at playing that part absolutely the most flawless and the best with the most emotion emotion and passion that you can possibly put into it. And when you're playing those same parts and you're playing the same souls and everything for a year, year and a half. That's what you look for. That's the perspective you take that you look forward to doing. You know, otherwise, yeah, you'd get bored with it. You, oh mm-hmm. shit, I'm just playing the same notes over and over. But then you would probably end up like you're saying, Dave. I mean, it, you would
1: reflect that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Out, onto out the, you go. <laughs> onto the next. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: to the next. But with Cheryl. Yeah. With Cheryl, you know, well, you know,
2: Cheryl played with Don, so she was exposed to that kind of thing, and she was with Michael Jackson, and there was, Mm -hmm. you know, an immense level of perfection there, and, Mm -hmm. you know, she had a good balance of both, or does still have a good balance of both, you know, where, you know, she, you think about how much work they put into making the records and crafting every single aspect of it, so naturally coming fresh out of the studio you know and starting a band rehearsal for a tour that's what they want to hear you know so it would start out that way so we we'd learn the stuff like like it was on the record and that's what her ears were tuned to you know and as the tour goes on then things would loosen up a little bit you know, and then you could stretch out and then she'd stretch it out and say, hey, why don't we do more of a jam section here? Why don't we do something with the intro, do stuff that would make it more show worthy, you know, things like that. And if it's strayed too much, then she go, hey, you know what? Will you listen to the record? You know, the, you know, let's try to pull it back. Let's rein it back in a little bit, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's what's cool yeah. about her. And she's good about really sort of keying in on everybody's individual personality or talents or whatever the case and trying to make something of it.
0: Right. All right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I just want to mention to people in the chat that we'll get to your questions in a little bit. Uh, Promise. uh, Make sure you ask your questions and uh, we'll get to them soon. Um, So I'm curious, Peter. So you also played with Sarah McLaughlin, right? Yes. And that was a, period of time between a break, I guess, with Cheryl as well, right? Yes, we had,
2: I had first met Sarah and we played the Lilith Fair tour Mm
0: -hmm.
2: in 99. And, um, and then, you know, it had been, and, and we had done stuff with her throughout over a good, let's see, it had been from 99 through 2011, so it was a 10, 11 year stretch with Cheryl in the same band, uh, just straight through. It was great, you know? And then I just sort of sense that, okay, 11 years, that's a long time, you know? And then Cheryl went in and did a record with, uh, Doyle Bramhall mm-hmm. uh, second and, and, and they, Doyle had pulled together, he was producing the co-producing the record with her and he pulled together some buds and they did the record and then they then she had the idea of taking them out for the tour to support the record. And so at that time, uh, we had we were doing things and doing yet another Lilith Fair tour uh, in 2011 with Sarah. And so it just that dovetailed too. Sarah was putting together a band. For the Lilith Fair tour, we were just going to play with Cheryl just the first five dates of that Lilith Fair tour. So I ended up playing with both Cheryl and Sarah on the first five dates of Lilith and then just went on and played with Sarah from then on on the Lilith Fair for eight weeks or I think more like 12 weeks or something on the Lilith Fair tour. Mm Some amount of time. That's you cool. know, so, so yeah, that was, that was how that came to be. It just, again, fit right. You
0: know, That's like, it's like, nice how that works out. One, right? one
1: sort of ends and it just transitions into the other or one temporarily ends and it transitions into the other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, again, just an entirely
2: different experience, you know, and uh, Sarah, you just an amazing person personality and you know and and same kind of deal as cheryl in a way you know where she would want to hear things a certain way but also would reconstruct the songs to make them fit with the show put together an incredible band she had you know really good host of players up from canada and and the u.s both you know and uh yeah, that was that was great. We had a so I toured with her that year, and then again on another tour a few years later, where it sort of dovetailed. I was back with Cheryl, but it you know it had worked out scheduling wise. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you ever record with her?
2: With Sarah? No, I didn't. Mm. No, never did. She, she when she she had already made the record when I started playing with her and yeah she didn't make records that often then you know so that was the first record in a while when i joined
0: her to tour and mm-hmm. and so now that opportunity never arises. i see so what's what was the uh writing process like with cheryl because I, I you recorded a couple albums with her right or at least one i recorded one with her come, on, know, come, I, come on come I on joined,
2: right? uh, uh I was come on come on right Right, right. And, you know, prior to that, it was the same kind of deal. They had already finished the record when I joined Don. They had finished Globe Sessions. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was Jeff Trott. You know, Jeff Trot still to this day is her big collaborating songwriter. And, you know, and so, yeah, so right after Don Henley's tour, I started working with her, recording with her for the Come On, Come On record.
0: I see. You know, what's interesting is uh, I just thought of it as we were talking is I actually, I'm friends with, um, or I was friends with, uh, a um, a guy who was brothers with the previous guitar player for Sheryl Crow. Uh, what was his? Todd name? Wolf. Todd Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Todd's great. Todd's yeah. a great guy. Yeah, he has his own band, the, the Todd Wolf Band. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's he's out playing all the time. Yeah, he's uh, he's managed also by the same manager, right?
2: He had been, and I think they still work together. Yeah, Scooter, Scooter right. and Tom go way back. I mean, they're they're <laughs> lifelong friends. They've they've been friends since high school days. I'm pretty sure. Right. right, 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 right. So, yeah, you know, that's they're cool. always.
0: That's cool. Yeah, it just popped in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, Tom and his brother. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. So that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Um, so I I know we had a question. Um, and I highlighted it uh, it was regarding um 65 amps and your yeah. involvement with with 65 amps if you could talk about that as well and i'll find who asked us the question and uh, okay yeah it was scott yeah. scott MacArthur, by the way and he owns your pony the stone pony head it's a stone pony yeah excellent
2: yeah well well uh and the stone pony was I had gotten on this Ampeg kick at one point and was collecting Ampegs and noticed a lot of them were using 7591s. And we simply just said, huh, I wonder, and they had a sort of unique sound. And we wondered what the 7591s would sound in place of the 66s in this one Soho amp that we had. And so essentially it was the Soho model. Uh, converted for 75.91s, and then we did some stuff to the tone stack, changed it up a little bit to fine tune it to make it sound appropriate with those tubes, you know. And it had a nice, sort of aggressive kind of sound to it, it had a different kind of sound to it than, than the 6 6s yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, 65, Dan, uh, Dan, my friend Dan Bull, he started that, and then. At one point, you know, I was I was telling Dan, you know, I need amps. And this was after a couple of years in with Cheryl, a few years in with Cheryl and said, yeah, the, the Marshall and the Super Reverb, they're just too loud. You know, I'm having to use attenuators on them and this and that. And, and um, I just need something that gets a better sound at a lower volume. And I had met. A guy here, shoot, it's killing. Oh yeah, Ball's amplifiers, and I wish I could remember the guy's name, but mm-hmm. it was my first exposure to the eighteen watt Marshall circuit. There was a guy in Chattanooga who made these on the side. He was a he was a bank executive by day, <laughs> and and building these eighteen watt Marshall clones, you know, on the side, and right. called them Ball's amplifiers. And that was the first 18 one I heard and it turned my head around. I said, there it is right there. That's my sound mm-hmm. because it was low volume and it had that kind of British Marshall kind of sound, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was telling Dan about it. And, uh, then a f- time went on, you know, Dan was already living in California. He had lived in LA. I mean, in Atlanta, he and I were close buddies here in Atlanta already. And then, you yeah, know, he ended up in LA. And so you know, a few months went by and he said, Oh, yeah, I'm building my own 18 watt Marshall now. And then I'm like, Really? I didn't know you knew how to do that stuff. And then, uh, so he was building it. And then um, and the next thing I know, he goes, Oh, yeah, I've got a guy who's given me the money to build five of them and take them to the NAMM show. And I'd like you to be involved with this. Like, I'd like you to be an artist with it. And by that an artist type. And by that time, you know, I was deep into monkeying with amps and stuff like that. Nowhere near Dave's level or anything like that. But just enough to where I knew what I was looking for sound-wise. And I said, all right, now I want to be part of the process. I want to be in on this. Cut me in as a partner and I'll do it. I don't just want to be an endorsey kind of guy. I, just, mm-hmm. I, I want to jump in on this. And so he right. gave some thought and that's how it all started. And so he and I started it from the ground up initially you know with you know i i sourced out finding the guys here to
1: in atlanta to build the chassis and so that and, was the london amp right yeah that was the london and yeah. then i remember the first londons and those were great sounding man he
2: well I, appreciate was, it.
1: I think that was my favorite 65 amp ever the the original londons
2: the original london yeah and, it, and it's still i still have mine you know it's still a Favorite of mine. And what we did is we figured out that, you know, that wasabi, the 18-watt Marshall and the Watkins Dominator or the AC-15 were really similar circuits. You know, all very similar circuits. And so we just sort of combined the AC-15 front end and an 18-watt Marshall front end. And then really beefed up the power stage and worked with Mercury Magnetics and a relationship with those guys and they custom made transformers and he really went in deep on that whole end and uh really you know try, trying various wines and those guys were great and yeah so that was it was all born during that time in 2005 when all that stuff was just starting to kick up full on i mean there was definitely people doing it matchless and you know oh who else uh, what's his name jay the guy who had the amplifiers it was in the dc area it's a great guy and made great amps uh sorry i blanked on him but there's you know there there was a few out there but yeah we just sort of jumped in and just had fun with it so all right Dan, cage,
1: cage cage amps cage no, no. Buddha, Buddha.
2: No. Buddha, Buddha, yeah, yeah. damn you know, and heck I should have started using his amps back then because they fit that bill. You know, they were good sounding amps at a lower volume.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The original, the the shoot, I don't remember what the original one was called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember the original one. It does sound cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but that was the thing. And you know, it's funny to think about lower volume now. Back then lower volume was eighteen watts, twenty watts, even a AC thirty was becoming too loud. And so we were using, when we first built the first big batch of, of London's, or I shouldn't say big, but first, you know, five or so, Cheryl jumped right in. She said, I'll buy one. And, uh, and so we ended up with an entire 65 backline. The other guitarist, Tim Smith, bought one. And, uh, and I'll never forget those first rehearsals, which, again, were in Europe using the 65 amps and i mean if a chord got pulled out of the guitar they'd look at me like peter what's wrong with the amp
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was all eyes on me you know like
3: <laughs>
0: you're like well i didn't need this pressure
2: <laughs> it's a it was like "Ooh, i didn't expect this i wasn't planning on this end of it you know right but uh, yes, yeah. uh, so, we went to the Buddha,
1: Buddha Twin Master. That's what it was. <laughs>
2: yes. yes. Yeah, the Buddha Twin Master. Yeah. So yeah, we uh, you know, we just started the thing, went to Nam, and uh, just, and then there was a store here in Atlanta, Midtown Music, and Dave Tiller, Midtown Music, and he really helped us launch because he bought. 10 of our amps, he gave us an order for 10 amps right on the spot and paid us half up front. And that gave us some money to get, you know, to build the first batch. So we built them 10 amps. He sold those pretty quick and we built another 10, you know, so that's how it started.
0: That's cool. Hey, we just got a super chat from Rico USA. Uh, Let me see what exactly. I'm a St. Louis boy. What brought you there? How was the music scene? Also, if you could talk about how you got connected with another MO Missouri girl, Cheryl Crow. We talked about that before. I got to know her know her a bit in college. What a down-to-earth talent.
2: Yeah, what brought me to Saint Louis? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't go to St. Louis to get with her. I, he might have been referring I but I don't know if he's referring to earlier. I was I went to school in St. Louis in high school.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Uh, back in, you know, shoot, when I was 15, 14 and 15, yeah, you know, so way back. I went to a prep school. So I did see a hell of a lot of great shows. So I lived in St. Louis and yeah. You know, I was exposed to a lot.
0: Where are you now? I'm in Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. By the way, we got another super chat. I missed it earlier uh, from Ben Sailors. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, what happen- He said, what happened to 65 amps still using Elliot's? Oh, um, you know, uh, well, 65 is in a
2: transition stage. I'll put it that way. You know, Dan's doing other things at the moment. I got to the point where I just did not have the time to be engaged. And so I fell away you know years back it just didn't make sense you know and i was just so busy with cheryl we were constantly busy and and i became her music director and yada 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 just got where you know i just wasn't tuned in you know Mm -hmm. and um but yeah i'd say just say we're in sort of a I don't The dormant stage at the moment I'm still involved. I'll always be involved just, you know, cause Dan and I are best friends and you know, we started the thing and uh, I feel a connection to it, but you know, it it's going to come back around. We we're working with some folks and it'll, and that will probably bring it back around at some point or Dan will, but mm-hmm. right now he's working, he's doing IRs and uh, things for uh, the Helix and, Working with Line Six and coming up with some pretty incredible uh, sounds and things in that whole world of IR for for those guys. Hmm. That's that uh, that's where that's hey, where
1: uh, un believable <laughs> as a question. So so uh, pedal boards from artist to artist, gig to gig. What what have you used over the years? What uh... pedal boards? Yeah, he just wanted to know kind of
2: what you well. What you've used board, over the years, I've always built my own pedal boards, just you know, through mm-hmm. together pedals or whatever, and made my own boards or whatever. And then I used a Bradshaw rig for a while, and that was great. Uh, and then when I wanted to go back to a board, then again went back to assembling my own. And since then, I've been just building them on you know uh, what what do you call them the uh, What's the big pedal board company?
1: Damn, pedal, pedal train. Uh, pedal
2: train. Yeah, sorry, I just blanked. It must be that Cabernet. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> the, uh, That's uh, okay.
1: The, yeah, the, we, we
2: understand.
1: We understand this this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers! Dr- drinking drinking on air has uh, occasionally gotten out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> In a, in our cast, depending on how many hours it has gone. I was gonna say I'll keep my memory here. So yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely unfortunately got out of hand a few times. Yeah. <laughs> but people generally love those shows. <laughs> well there's a bunch of guys face down drunk on on live chat. <laughs> like,
2: well, if, if I get the purple teeth after a while, you know I've had my fill. So. <laughs> uh, um, you know, now I, I'll put it this way. As far as the pedal boards, there's the, the big thing for me with the pedal board is the gig rig yeah. programmable thing. That's that great. thing kills. I've been using that for a lost count of the years, five years or so, mm. seven years. Mm-hmm. And along with that, I guess, seven or eight years. And then Always on a pedal train, and lately the the True Tones um, power supplies. Yeah, those are
1: great things. too.
2: They're great. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the gig rig is powered by his whole setup. You know, so yeah. I have I have multiple boards. So the gig rig, he's got his whole power mesh underneath there, mm-hmm. uh, underneath the board, and it's great. That that board has never gone down once, and um, uh, and then the other ones that I build, I build again using the true tones and everything, it's like I never can keep. I have two or three boards that never remain the same. It's what's great about it is just being able to go, oh, you know, for whatever a session or somebody I go play with, I'll just assemble a board real quick.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: and off you go. You know, I'd much rather have it that way. I can never stay with just one board.
1: Well, you yeah, you love cool. gear.
0: You're a big gear person, right? So, uh, I
1: love gear too.
0: <laughs> I love gear. I love gear. Uh, I, mean, I love
1: old gear. Yeah, old gear. Well, I guess I make gear too, so I love that too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but great gear. But yeah. I have a love. I I honestly find myself occasionally going on reverb, and just like just scrolling amps and, and scroll or pedals even because on reverb, you know, you can, you can search by year and era, you know? So, yeah. so, you know, Oh yeah. 70s amps, 60s amps, this what's there, what do they got? <laughs> you know, I, and sometimes I just do it to look at the pictures, to be honest. Like, you know, I just, I just want to see what someone's selling and how much it's selling for. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll be like, yeah, no, but, but wow, that's a cool amp. Yeah. Dave, you have a problem and I understand and I'm with occasionally, you. Occasionally, <laughs> though, I've succumbed to that, to that shopping and have, it's like, hopefully I hadn't been drinking because that, then you really s- succumb to the, you know. That's when you get a package. Of the,
0: yeah. You get a package of the door and you're like, what the hell is this?
1: yeah i I remember I, i remember i was on there once and i was i was looking at like high watts and things and um and i found a um high watt pa head oh wow right and it has like a little insert point which is just a passive loop you know so you could use it as a power amp in or something and uh you know multiple channels and and it looks cool as hell. If you look you look up a high-watt PA head, you'd be like, oh, man, that looks cool.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> click. <laughs> <laughs> click. $1,700 $1, later. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, what year is that that's
0: from? That's
1: the problem. Uh, uh, 70, early 70s. Uh,
0: wow.
1: Oh, my God. It look it looks so cool. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it does. It just looks cool. It looks good. But it actually sounds... We compared it to a, a, a DR one hundred and three, and it's very similar. It's just slightly less gain. Um, very similar in tone, though. We compared it in the studio with an amp switcher, where we could really tell. And um, super cool amp. It just looks so cool. You got to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> have you? What heard- I really wanted was a fifty watt high watt.
2: Oh, man, That's but what I'm... I
1: didn't want to pay twenty nine hundred dollars for it when I you know, I remember when they were seven hundred. and I'm like, jeez, oh, yeah, but I'm still looking for a fifty watt high watt at a good price. So yeah, hey, people. <laughs> the, yeah, good prices hook me up, yeah, if you can get a good price. I, you know, it's funny. I mentioned stuff on this show. Sometimes people hook me up. it's 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 interesting. um. I mentioned uh, I really wanted an espresso maker. And some guy goes, I got an extra one. I'll send it to you. Give me your address. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, that's it has. And t- then I mentioned, like, some H&H power amps. And someone recently said, hey, I have these two things and these kind of monoblock H&H power amps. And I'm like, uh, you can have them. you Just pay for the shipping. I'm like, all right, I'll send you a label. <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow, that's I cool. don't know why I really needed them, but at that point, for for the eighty dollars it cost, uh, yeah, okay, I'll take them. Well, maybe I'll buy one. Well, I, I need a power amp. Up. You pick it, up. It's just up. a mono. There's two mono power amps. It's oh, like small, I got you. but it's good for a, like a wet dry thing or some something like that. Mm. It's killer for that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. What are you gonna yeah. say, Peter?
2: I would say, have you heard of uh, roost amps? Yeah, sure. I've got a roost. And, I've heard of that. And it was, you know, because I had a high watt DR103 at one point. Yeah. And it was great. It was a 71. It was, oh, yeah, good stuff. Prompt period, great, super clean amp. And then we were over in the UK and I got to know some folks over there and somebody over there turned me onto a roost. And uh, here, I'll see if I can disconnect here without killing the sound. If I do, I, I'll well, actually let me be prepared
1: to correct a problem. This might I'll, be a train wreck here, people. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Maybe a train wreck, but I will show. But it's you okay.
1: The, it's all right. If you're going to show amps, we're okay with the train wreck.
2: Yeah, yeah I'll show you the roost here because um, you don't see them much at all anymore. But here we go. Let me jump off of here. Oh yeah, we're fine. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, yep. We can hear
1: all you. Right.
2: Um there's a the roast.
1: Oh, oh wow. yeah, look at that. Oh wait, what's that park?
2: Oh yeah, that. Oh, that's, I know what that is. That's the Mac Daddy. yeah, Park seventy five.
1: Oh yeah, and then the yeah, Park seventy five, which really is really a fifty watt, but yeah. Just with bigger bigger tubes.
2: Right, with KT-77, or yeah. KT-88s, I mean.
1: Yeah, the funny the funny thing about Park 75 that I didn't really know until I started working on a few of them for friends, it literally was just a 50-watt that they put bigger tubes in. Hmm. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> and, well, and then some of the components were ever so slightly different, um, uh, but you could convert it to be whatever. Um uh, that's a cool park cabinet too man that's awesome Man uh,
2: they they didn't come together the head I bought here in Atlanta at a guitar center which I couldn't believe
0: it just looks so cool Wow
1: the
2: guitar it's, center yeah,
0: That's surprising
2: It does yeah it was it, and it was it's a 72 it's a PA head actually or that's, it has a PA designation on it Uh-huh but the circuit on it is just one uh resist or yeah, one resistor away from being a base head. Yeah. You know, yeah. A base fifty. And then and then here's a seventy-two, you know, Marshall, Marshall. Base fifty. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And What's they, the fawn fawn one over there?
2: Uh let's see. That fawn one. This one I got
1: least seventies fifty or something?
2: That is a seven a seventy head, sixty-nine or seventy that have been retalled. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we bought that. You know, Dan bought that actually from Rick of Celestion.
1: You know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He owned that
2: amp, and then he sold it to Dan. Oh, and
1: you got a Laney PA head. Yeah, I got the
2: Laney P. I got that just last year. That thing sounds
1: awesome. That one's cool.
2: Uh but that Ruse too. I was going to tell you that Ruse has Partridge Transformers. It sounds uh, like a hot rodded high watt. It's really oh, cool. Great
1: yeah, those are great. All those are great, and then let's see the other the
2: other favorite British amp uh, that wasn't very popular in the days. Oh early.
0: yeah, Selmer. Oh, Selmer, wow.
2: The Selmer treble and bass with the fifty. That thing sounds great. This.
1: Yeah, not... you know the funny thing about Selmers right now, Selmers are really soft in the market, so you can pick up a Selmer for nothing. Yeah. I mean and, like literally nothing like some you can get a crocodile the croc heads right for, for like 1200 bucks or something
2: yeah and those are the the most desirable but if yeah. anybody wants you can buy these right now for about 7 to 800 yeah yeah and it's the exact same circuit yeah yeah
1: those are super cool
2: and uh, so yeah anybody watching the show if you want a great sounding amp just just dial one of those up try to get yeah. your, on one
1: of those cool.
2: they have all the voltage settings you know some of the earlier sellers don't yeah you know but that one's got taps on the
1: transformer and
0: hmm. yeah, yeah i
1: love that love it yeah interesting vintage amp tour
0: yeah,
1: I
2: love yeah. it. That was fantastic. Thanks for taking <laughs> us on the tour. <laughs> uh, I love it. I'm not. I'm. I'm just like you guys. I'll all.
1: eventually. I'll eventually have to do the tour, but uh, I don't have all of them here right now. So, yeah. Uh, you should do that. I will dude. have them all here eventually. Yeah. Well, what you have in the back looks good. So you know, it's well, fun. Yeah, I have a 68 50 watt Marshall, and then a 19. Uh, uh, Seventy or seventy-one, Jose Modded. Oh wow! A hundred watt Marshall. Wow. Also oh, kind wow. of rare and uh, and really uh, expensive. <laughs> yeah. Does it well? Have a i got a good price on it, fun? but
0: it's expensive. If I were to sell it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, would you ask Peter?
2: Does it have any providence? Does it any known player own that amp? Uh,
1: known, not known player, but. Um, no, no known player um, that I know of at least. Um, but uh, it came up it came up uh, in recent times in the last couple years, maybe the last year it came up. Hmm. And it someone hit me to it. It was on Craigslist. yeah and and someone hit me to it. Wow. and and I'm like going, wait, it's how much? Wait. Yeah, wait, hook me up. <laughs> man. Uh, I, by no means did I uh, need to buy it at the time. But I'm like, oh, man, For I mean, I'm mean, i not going to disclose the price. But it was a really good price for the amp. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm it like, okay, I, 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 I have name. to. I have to. I, I don't have I, – I, I know what it's worth, and – it's an a great investment <laughs> so right. you know yeah it, it was it, uh, you know it was under 2k so
0: well yeah. if, well if you go to, if you it's go to probably sell it.
1: worth it's probably worth 5k or higher yeah
0: yeah so now uh, are there ways to tell if there's there's a fake jose modded I, i'm curious well i know i know i
1: know instantly by saying it and by no means is this fake right uh so um yes there, there's total ways to tell there's i've been in like 20 20 to 25 of these amps i i know the parts he used i know the kind of parts i know the kind of shielded wire that he used throughout his career <laughs> and it's blue and if it has this blue shielded wire for sure, it's it's Jose, and, and and there's some other telltale signs. It's just, it, you can't fake you can't fake it because you can't get those parts anymore. Right. Interesting. The the, the push pull pots and some of the stuff he used, you can't buy anymore. You nowhere nothing. They were probably old radio parts at the time, and they were probably from the fifties at the time, and he was using them in the eighties. They they just don't exist anymore.
3: Hmm.
1: Well, so interesting. I mean not that you can't replicate the circuit now you can but you can't do it the same way with the same parts.
0: Right, right. So, question for you, Pete, um, what about new gear? New gear. Are you uh do you you like new gear? You you buy new gear, pedals, that kind of stuff?
2: I I I go crazy on pedals or lately especially <laughs> since we're in lockdown. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's just perusing reverb <laughs> well you know it's funny yeah you know, it's like no it's more about on instagram i've i've become hip to these call them rogue pedal builders that are on instagram mm, and, oh, and, uh-huh. and i've come across a couple of really great builders you know in fact i got a couple today that came in. That uh, I'll be blasting through after we get done uh, from this builder Mark Leahy that is on Instagram is Make Sounds Loudly, and you know he's he knows how to make a really great clone sounding pedal using old parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. these, and then let's see, there's this other guy, uh, Chris Vincent. Chris Vincent, I recently bought a pedal that Brian Ray hipped me to.
1: No, we love Brian.
2: He's in LA. Chris yep. is in LA. And he's making uh well this is one of his Rangemaster circuit clones, but mm. you know, we had made one too with sixty-five amps, but you know, this one has a six-way tone switch where it's you know, so he's taken it a step further mm. with this way, you know, with the different capacitors for different you know hit mid-range notches and then uh and also the bias control is on the face um is and it's there's all parts in this are from the 60s which is you know so these guys are you know they're nuts into it and and, that's awesome and it's a great sound pedal so yeah this kind of stuff i'm totally into so as far as you know, there's a few new guitars too, in the same same boat. Elliott guitars. I got a new Elliott Strat. Yeah, it goes on. You know, so yeah, I am not averse to new stuff. You know, mm-hmm. um, amps. I tend to prefer older stuff. You know, somebody had asked earlier as far as 65 amps and the Elliott amps. Yes, I've got an Elliott amp that he made that um, is, is sort of a 5e3 circuit version kind of amp that he made is really good um what else uh i don't know i think that's that's about it on new stuff
3: that's cool
2: you know amps i haven't really bought any amps i'm i'm sort of done i bought so many amps during the 65 amps period under the under the guise of r&d and (laughs) you know and then just thing you know and i have too many i'm i'm starting to shed some of them but then I look at them in that whole area that I was just showing you, and I go, why get rid of them now? You know, there'll be a time when I want to get rid of them because, especially now, I I did, lately I've been upgrading my recording setup. So I've, you know, I I bought a UA Apollo uh, interface and the aux and things like that. So I can really improve my home recording. And now that I have the aux, I can use all my 100 watt amps and
0: 50 watts. Random. Yeah, the ox is great, <laughs> isn't it? It's a great... Yeah. It's a really... Yeah. I, I've got one sitting right here. Yeah, it's great, box. great. Especially for the big amps, it works really, really well. Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, we have a, a super chat uh, from Rhett Scholl. Oh. And Lana checking in here. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know Rhett? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, hey, Peter, I'd love to hear how the Tone Master came to be. Big fan of the show, guys. Oh, nice. okay, thanks. Thanks, yeah.
2: Rhett.
1: Rhett. How are you? Thank you. Nice to see you. I'll
2: show you two. Well, here, here is one of the first ones. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice. And Yeah, you know, Jazzmaster kind of thing, and then it was followed up by this one was another where we did this two-tone kind of paint job
1: kind of deal. Very yeah, nice. it's like a cut-off bridge sort of style. Yeah. And... High-mass cut-off bridge sort of thing. Yeah, so
2: i met andy elliott through ken hoover of zion guitars
1: oh I, I remember zion
2: that's his soul ken's no longer with us but uh he was from greensboro ken was and where i grew up i'm from greensboro north carolina and um so ken introduced me to andy elliott and andy uh is a builder that's in the hickory or just outside of hickory in Hiddenite, night north carolina and up in the hills the foothills and he said he wanted to build me a guitar and he built on the fender kind of thing you know strats and so forth and and wanted to do a signature thing and i said well and at that time i was like yeah you know there's enough strats out there why don't we do something different Why don't we do something with the jaguar kind of thing and so it was like all right i want a jaguar but let's make the jazz master pickups but constructed like p90s and um And then do it with a bridge where it strings through the back, not the whammy bar. And I want it with a large headstock. I just said, this is what I want done to it, and so forth. And let's try that. And then Andy is such an impeccable builder. He had built acoustic guitars before that. And he tunes the wood, and he builds them entirely from scratch, even cuts the pick guards from scratch, everything. And he worked with Lindy Fralin on, they had to invest heavily in the pickups because a Jazzmaster and a P90 are two different builds. You know, the the magnets are underneath on a P90, you know, with metal screws, you know, where a Jazzmaster pickup are, you know, studs, magnet, stud magnets. And so, yeah, they had to totally retool for that. It was quite an investment for them. And so i actually had gotten on the phone with lindy during that time which was really great and amazing and Mm. talked about what we were going for sonically. and that guitar that first red one both of them the red one and the white one are just these spooky amazing sounding playing bigger than life guitars Mm. you know there's just something about them And, you know, I feel like we can sort of claim we were sort of, I I would dare say that that was the first Jazzmaster to come out as an offering with a P90-style pickup. I'm sure people would drop P90s in them, but definitely the first where it was a Jazzmaster pickup that functioned like a P90, that was constructed like a P90, without doubt, without question. That was the one that he and Lindy, tooled up to build was the very first yeah love
0: lindy yeah lindy makes amazing stuff lindy makes great everything yeah he does he makes great it
1: doesn't matter it comes from lindy well it's great
2: (laughs) yeah 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 exactly and so now and you know and it's gone on and so andy now he wants his own pickups and everything and they made the deal initially i think where you know, with the investment they had going into it, that Lindy could sell the pickups as well on his own. and Yeah. So you can get those pickups. You can get them from Lindy. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that was how that guitar came to be. And it's, it's a great guitar. You know, I go through phases. Lately, I've been back to using my vintage guitars and stuff, you know. and But then I'll pull out, like I did the Sarah McLaughlin tour using the Elliotts and I use Elliot's Tele guitars on tour with Cheryl. and yeah.
0: What are your uh, what are your thoughts? you got to mix it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <of> totally. <laughs> what are your thoughts on uh, fun. relicking or aging of guitars? Do you do you like that or you just do you like natural just to let that happen naturally or are you kind of cool with it?
2: Personally, I think I'm totally cool with it and I think it's a work of art. It's a way, of, you know, it's it's sort of a a, a uh, art Process in its own right, you know. So I, I'm totally fine with it. But with my own guitars, I, I personally like letting them age on their own, you know. I, I, I have yet to buy a Relic guitar that I'm aware of
3: mm. <laughs> that I
2: can remember. But usually, you know, I, when I've had the custom shop, Gibson custom shop building for me, or, you know, or I've bought them from Fender, I just get them and get them new. Yeah, get them new and let them get road worn on their own. Believe me, they get road worn
0: pretty quickly. I was gonna say no
2: matter how you try to take care of them.
0: Yeah. They get beat up. Yeah. By the way, Red Shell, thanks man for the question. Appreciate that. And the super and thank chat.
1: You for uh Red, thanks for the super chat though. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, thank we you. We
1: would have answered your question anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. That was really but nice. Thank you. I, and Yeah. Um so, Peter, what, what are your thoughts about Kempers and things like that? You know, I don't have a problem with them.
2: At the same time, you know, the jury's still out as far as I'm concerned. I'm so picky about that kind of thing. And, there's, you know, the Kempers definitely serve their purpose. But when I've heard the Kempers and a live context, they they just sound like you're looking at a picture on the wall they More just dimensional. sound flat yeah. you know they don't have that dimension that it, that you get from an amp and you know the thing i've always felt is that you know it's not just the electric guitar what you know like i hate it when the amps have to be off stage and all that kind of thing because you just you feel like your feet are cut off at the ankles you know yeah, because
1: disconnected
2: Yeah, because the amp is so much of the part of the tone of the electric guitar. You can't have one without the other. So if the amp's off stage, you know, and you're just relying on your ears, then you're just, it's just, it feels really tense. You know, it just, Mm -hmm. you don't have the feel. You don't have the interaction of even just the slightest amount
3: of feedback or whatever.
1: Especially, I imagine, with the kind of music that you're playing with Cheryl and stuff, it's like that... That vintage sort of amp interaction is important is yeah. what it's about really I mean awesome. i i especially the sort of music that you're playing is especially something that I think modelers do poorly right um, I, I I don't the the in betweens are not um the in-betweens that's the the big thing is in-betweens like if if there's a guy that plays heavy music or something through a modeler it it does it pretty well um uh, and but the the americana style music is just about that gritty old amp man and the gritty old guitar and that's man that's just where it's at that's the mojo that's the thing yeah, you know?
2: personality of the and, tone, and then also rolling back the volume on the guitar.
1: Yeah, it doesn't react the same way.
2: And that's what's great about these kind of pedals. You know, that's the thing also with fuzz boxes and so forth, a lot of people don't recognize is that it's not just the balls out fuzz tone, is when you roll the guitar volume, yeah. the clean sounds you get out of these things.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, people but are- back in the day. They were using these because the amps, you know, like the early Marshalls and stuff were, you know, he yeah. would use these pedals that were treble boosters, Yeah,
1: treble boosters, and then boost into the old Marshall that was muddy and, and, uh, and made this great sound, you know, yeah. but then you roll off the volume knob and it was pristine clean. And you probably find like you watch those old recording,
2: like those old videos of Deep Purple, you know, and you see Richie Blackmore, there's one of them doing the song No, No, No. And he used uh, uh, what was uh, something, something Keens or I forget. There was some sort of box that he used. It was the same kind of deal. It was one of those same kind of circuits. Yeah. And But um, their volume, his volume was on five most of the time on the guitar and then he'd crank it up you know and you'd hear it and it would sound like a roar and the same with hendrix <laughs> watch you know like well, uh, a lot of those guys yeah like you know like, that fuzz face would stay on and he would just roll the volume back on the strat and you'd get that crystalline sound <laughs> then when he crank up it just sounded like a bomb going off uh, yeah wall of yeah like the, the fuzz a, face especially Yeah. And so even in our world, you know, we're using the smaller amps and stuff. That's I'm you know, I usually play with the volume way back. And that way I can just turn turn the guitar up to 10 when it's time to solo. Well, it's
1: it's dynamics. It's um, you know, you can you can vary your volume depending on on what. I mean, you roll it off and it's clean and then. Maybe hey the verse is a little more gritty, so pull it up a little more, and then the chorus is, ram you know open or the lead is open. Yeah, so and that's I an old school guitar player, right? And you're coming from a guy but, that you know, you're coming from you're coming from a a person that played a vintage amp, yeah, uh, that was one channel, and um, you use your volume knob and your pedals to get everything. Yeah. And um, there's a lot to be said for that, because I think a lot of that is lost today. And uh, uh, kids don't know what that is. They don't understand that at all. Well, and modeling
2: doesn't really I don't. Well, and I don't want to slide it because I don't know. I haven't used a camper. So don't. Don't quote anybody who has a Kemper could chime it. You know, I, I, I have
0: one. I have one, and it does have some dynamics where you can roll back the volume and it'll clean up, but not not really, not, not like the amp behind no, you, Mark. No, no, definitely not. No, the, the amp behind me. It serves it's
1: not as, that one. No. The, yeah. the one in the, <laughs> oh, the
0: oh the plexi. oh plexi. the plexi. Yeah, exactly. The plexi next to me also. Yeah, I, definitely. You roll off the volume, and it's it, it's much better than the Kemper. There's no doubt about it. But it does have, you know, the Kemper has some merits. That's the thing,
2: you know, and the Helix, the new Line Six Helix. I just actually downloaded the the Helix native, and I'm really looking forward to to working with that. I haven't had a chance to dive into it yet, but I've been hearing really good things about that. You know, it's like that technology is improving, so it's not yeah. like I'm going to be a stickler about it and say, you know, there's no place for that technology here. You know, I'm going <laughs> to use yeah hell with you guys, you know, it's more like it, it's just it, it it's it it's beautifully, it's great, but you know, I prefer the old ones, you know, that's to me that whole interaction is like I said, an amp and a guitar, you know the tubes, have...
1: yeah well not to mention just the interaction on stage with a, a live cabinet and yeah. the guitar and what you will get from that, which will be feedback if you want it to be depending on what kind of amount of drive you're plowing through it yeah um, and that feedback and that excitement is what to me makes rock and roll yeah I mean yeah. like part of it I remember uh, some friends of mine are in the band um, I'm, well I'm from Detroit originally right so the uh, there's a band uh, sponge from the 90s. You know, yes. and uh, they're friends of mine Vinny and and Andy, and a few other people in the band. And when you I saw them literally before this lockdown, they played uh, I saw two shows in l a um that they were playing just because uh, I was loaning them some amps, and well, I just like, why not? Let's go. But this was literally right on the border of like, well, maybe should I go? Should I not go? I'm not so sure if I should go. Um, but I went to the two shows. I survived. Um, <laughs> You're still here. Uh, although the shows were poorly attended because of this, uh, what was just starting to happen with the coronavirus. Um, uh, but the the two shows, I what what struck me, and I was really watching it. It was like their use of feedback with their music, like just like rock and roll, crunchy guitars, and letting the feedback happen because there was a certain volume and they would use the feedback as this tension in the music you know and and like and man that's how it's done yeah that's just how it's done man that's that's the classic rock and roll thing you know and uh and so many bands have lost that and 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 it's it's a it's a bit depressing but watching them i was like oh my god this is awesome because it it creates this excitement and tension regardless of the song it just it creates this excitement and tension to everything that that is there's
2: and just say awesome. there's in the later and more the current generation of bands you know they haven't experienced that you know they haven't seen yeah. many bands if any that do that and you know it's more about it's a very controlled environment it's the time where in-ears and front of house requires your stage volume even in a club to be at a minimum
1: Mm -hmm. I I, I think that's bullshit too but oh totally I do too it's total bullshit because because uh, so I remember this distinctly so it depends on who you are it all depends on who you are and who you play for because I remember distinctly at the Viper room, friends of mine that play there all the time, they're always like, oh, they make me turn down so I can't almost hear my amp. It's not even on. Yeah. It's like so low that it's not on. <laughs> and that's a bug. Uh, yeah. and, and, but meanwhile, another time, uh, uh, I, Steve Stevens did a show where he came in with an all star cast and. His amp, uh, one of my amps, was on, like, 6. That's a 100-watt amp on, like, 6. That's 10. That's on 10. There, There's no more volume to be had after 6. It's just distortion. So, yeah. um, oh, wait. So this club allows them to play at that volume, but not the average Joe. Oh, and by the way, we could still hear all the vocals. Yeah. Just fine. Right. So I say hogwash. Oh, no, totally. You know, I would, I would go into
2: clubs, back, and would still, you know, whenever I'm planning on eventually get out doing some yeah. stuff, you know. But so does everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, but it would be like I would go no. What comes off the stage, all your all i'm asking you to do is accentuate what comes off the stage focus on getting the drums focus on getting the the uh vocals if you need to goose a, a lead here and there great if you don't do worry about it i'll handle it just fine mm-hmm. you yeah. know just like let it it's all one it's supposed to be this one big thing it's like yeah. i don't want a front of house guy who i have no relation to maybe he's great but in a club, whatever, he doesn't know the music or anything being in control, being the god of, of, of the music we're putting
1: out, you know? Well, I, I always say it's like, so like you just said, you have a drummer. He's playing at this velocity and this volume. So then you match up the bass and the guitars to that same relative volume as yeah. the drums. So it's nice and balanced you're walking around the stage it seems like a good volume you know i'm not saying it has to be excruciatingly loud a relatively good volume where everything's balanced
0: well it's got to then just amplify that for the front of house people it's got to compete with the drums i mean how bad is it when the drums are louder than everybody else oh my god i I can't even count how many
1: times that this has happened in recent years bass and drums and vocals are fucking way out front but guitars are buried oh you don't hear crap yeah and
2: it's just because they didn't have it eq'd properly or whatever the case yeah. and that's they're missing the point i mean the, the, with especially if you have you're lucky to be in a good sounding room the whole idea is all of it you know you're getting everything that's coming off the stage and that doesn't mean yeah. you have to use hundred waters or anything no but you know 30 50 waters and it's a
1: rock band hello that's yeah what i know and and it's proven time and time again. I mean, because like, again, like I saw the band Sponge. They're using 50 waters and they're got them at a reasonable volume, not excruciating, but a reasonable volume enough to get feedback from the amp, you know, like cabinets on stage. And I talked to the singer Vinnie and he's like, oh, no, I love loud guitars on stage. I, I got to have some guitars. Otherwise, it just doesn't seem right just yeah. it's not right
0: you know and
2: i'm um, hearing a story reeves cabrell's told me a story one time uh, during his time playing with david bowie that yeah he said bowie totally got it that you know i think he had a personal experience where sound man had come up to them on stage during the rehearsals you know at the beginning of a tour or whatever mm-hmm. just said stage volume's too loud reeves amps need to come down and this and that and uh David said no. Said yeah. let their volume sound
1: guy went let away. their volume <laughs> be
2: and you work with that. He you know, you know, look where David came from playing with Mick Ronson who was using right. that two hundred watts. Yeah, with two pull and two tubes pulled out.
1: I'm gonna run for a second, I'll be right back. Okay. Sure. Bathroom call.
2: That, you know that's that's case in point of you know rock and roll is rock and roll it, you know obviously it's all depends on the type of music and all that you know like in cheryl's world what we do is we um you know we have our amps on stage but we do have plexiglass mm-hmm. in front of them but i can still interact with the amp and then we take these uh se is the brand that they have these isolators that go over the microphone Mm. and it keeps the sound from reflecting off of the plexiglass and causing phasing problems.
0: I was going to say, I was going to ask how, how, how you work around that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how we do it because it's the worst. Plex, I hated plexiglass before that, you know, obviously it'd be great to have it to where the amp is open, but it doesn't always work in that context and depending on what you're playing and that's fine, you know, but at least, Audley and I can use our amps, whatever we want, have the Plexi, have the isolators there, and maintain a good stage volume, but still have interaction with our amplifiers. Right, all yeah, right. That's, that's how we're able to, you know, and we use, he and I use, like I'm using 20 watt amps, you know, 15 to 20 watt amp, mm-hmm. and uh, so is he. I think he may even have for clean, I think he's got a 30 or 40 watt up there of some sort. Mm-hmm. you know. He fluctuates a bit, but usually we're using 15, 20 watt amps.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's good that you guys... I mean, that's the thing that I love about the Sheryl Crow band and, you know, the sound of the music. It's this organic, natural, made with real guitars and amps, and, you know, it's real rock, you know, so... um, Hey, we got a question from Stuart Rose. He says, can uh, Dave please ask about the whiskey and or 65 amps whiskey collaboration with Dan, if you haven't already?
2: Yeah, well, and the whiskey is, you know, unfortunately the amp I've had the least experience with because that was after I was... I had sort of not parted ways, but just became less involved. You know, I was so busy on the road and everything. So that's that's totally Dan's baby is the whiskey. In fact, Dave, you probably know more about that amp than I do. You know, because I know yeah, that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I was approached with doing it with in collaboration. Um, essentially, the dirty channel of that amp was was my baby, and the. The clean channel of that amp was more of something Dan wanted to try. Um, uh, It's a super cool super cool amplifier. Uh, It's kind of in the JTM45-ish vein um, with a gain and a master, so you can get more gain than a JTM45 would have, but you can also back it off and, you know, uh, but you do have a master, so it's it's basically, you know, a, um, just a collaboration, man. It was just, uh, it was a collaboration. It was a cool sounding amp. Uh, I totally blanked that you were,
2: that you were an integral in that. Yeah. That you yeah. Did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I basically did the whole thing. Um, um, it's, uh, I, I have nothing I, I love I love how that amp sounds. So yeah. Especially
2: I really like the Yellow uh, eighty four version.
1: Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. God I haven't heard one of those in a while. But yeah, that was super cool.
0: So we got a great question from Sean Tubbs. How are you, Sean? Hey Sean. Uh he says Peter's rhythm guitar pocket is just so amazing. What's the deal? How'd that happen? Spill it, man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, man. Well, thank you, Sean. Thank you. I don't, I'm don't. not sure how to answer that. I think it was, again, it was just, I don't know. It was like I was talking about earlier. It was, you know, fortunate enough to play with these great bands and great drummers. Um, uh, my first experience of having to pay attention to Pocket, I'll put it this way, you know, obviously you pay attention to Pocket, or at least you think you are, you know, earlier on. But when I joined Pete Droge... Um, my first gig with Pete, I never rehearsed with Pete. I had a, uh, my first gig was at a festival in Germany and I, they called me the week before his producer, Brendan O'Brien called me the week before, said, Hey, his guitarist who was Jeff Trot, is not going out with him, decided not to go out and they're going to Europe in a week. Oh boy. Do you have
1: a Passport. Uh, yeah. You have a passport.
2: And I got the cake <laughs> because I had a passport, essentially is what it was.
1: <laughs> oh man.
2: And, uh, so thrown I'm thrown into the fire. Thrown in. You know, learned from tapes, no rehearsals. Flew out there. I actually went I I went to Disney World. We took our nephew to Disney World that week week. And so I while they were out touring my wife and our nephew were touring Disney World, I was in the room learning Droge's songs from cassette tapes. flew to Germany did that show. And I had just come out of playing where my own band at home. I had two bands at the time. My, my own was this instrumental band and it was high energy, just running on 10 ahead of the beat all the time. Pete Rose's music was like a mile behind the beat kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? And so here we are on stage in Germany in front of 40,000 people or whatever. And the first song kicks in, and I was a mile ahead of the band, Mm. you know, between nerves and everything. And it was like, holy shit, I have never experienced a drummer who at that time was Dan McCarroll, who had such a deep backbeat and pocket. It was amazing. I was just like, and it was just like, (laughs) Putting the brakes on, you know, and then it's like, oh, my God, I don't want these guys to think I can't play in the groove with them, you know, so I had to really like then concentrate on finding his pocket, you know, so Droge, everything about Droge was that way. The music was really just laid back and deep and everything. And then Cheryl's music's the very same way. And so we, you know, it's playing, I can say, it's playing with these incredible drummers, that were that kind of drummer. That were so backbeat and just, mm-hmm. you know, where
0: you had to find your place. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah exactly. The feel. Yeah. Yep. Sean's right. Um, by the way, how are you doing on time, Peter? you doing all right. Hey man,
2: uh, yeah, I don't want to hold you guys up. I see we're at it in a while, or I don't want to bore anybody out there. But I'm fine. I'm good.
0: Okay, no, we guys still have a few questions. If you if you're good for some t- time, just let us know. Um, uh, Stephen Douglas says uh, for Dave, any thoughts on a Saldano hot mod or mar- on for Marshalls? Uh, any- no.
1: No. Not really. Not really. No. I mean, no. I mean. Uh... There's too many logistics to that. Uh, it's not so cut and dry. So, okay. was that his own circuit, so to speak,
2: the hot mod? You're saying?
1: Well, the the original the original Soldano years ago came out with a hot mod that you could plug into like a JCM800 or something, and uh, and get this kind of modified Marshall kind of thing. Um,
0: it just plugged into the tube. Super stage. cool.
1: But there's too many like variables these days with amps. And uh, on what you're gonna get, and there's no, I'm not gonna do something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's not.
0: And there's already one out. There's a guy. Who, yeah, there is. There's a guy who's doing it right now. I forget what it's called. Um, but you can get, you can get it. I actually have it for my my 2204. Yeah. And it sounds Buy great. That. <laughs> What's that? Buy that. Buy that. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to have complete
1: control over what I put out there. So it's like, if you if you plug it into a different amp or or uh, no, it seems seems like a headache to me. Uh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um,
2: I would imagine. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've got your own sort of sound and expectations, and yeah, and, and sauce. Exactly. As exactly. We, you just know what it is you're going for,
1: and I, I and I like I like interacting with people. Like if I'm modifying something for someone, I like interacting with people where, where they're sort of telling me what they want to achieve, um, and what kind of sounds they want to achieve, and then I can kind of tailor the you know the end product to that. Um, that's really important because. You know, if you're a classic rock guy, I'm not going to do the same thing I do for like a guy that's into metal. You know, <laughs> like, you know, it's just it's just not the same thing. Um. So you know, you got to tell me what you want. You know, tell me tell me what you're into, what your what your influence is, what your what your vibe, what you're looking for. You know, what you have and
0: isn't working for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, question from Martin Sutcliffe. Peter, any tricks or boxes for getting the AC side of the London into top boost territory? It
1: is a top <laughs> boost on the No, well, no, it's not exactly.
2: No, it was more the, the AC15 kind of thing yeah. as we did and we did like the the color switch on it. The color tone knob was you know the you know different Mid-range points that we, you know, or it was more, more of a low-end roll-off, is what it was,
3: you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Went from more of the original vintage kind of setting that sounded very Beetle-esque, to adding a little more low end with each setting that you went to. Mm. So I, I can't really answer that because you know, or i Dave could probably answer that better. Well, bitter.
1: wasn't wasn't one side an EF86 side and one side, yeah. was, and one the, side was more yeah, of a top yeah. boost side. Didn't have the I don't remember this exactly, so that's why I'm asking. Um, wasn't the other side a volume with the uh, EQ? Yeah, like the
2: uh, one side that we had, like the, the 18-watt Marshall side, and that was volume, EQ, and tremolo, just like the 18-watt circuit. Mm-hmm. So it had a volume, tone knob, and, and tremolo. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And that, so that's
1: really not like a top boost at all. So. Right. And the AC- so you're not going to get a top boost, so no. No, because of
2: the EF86. I mean, it maybe you could put it close to the very first AC30s that had an EF86 on the input stage, but I'm sure that was a little bit different too. It definitely... Yeah,
1: yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not really a top boost circuit. So, yeah, um, you know, like on a on a matchless um, um, DC30 or something, the one channel, not the EF86 channel, the one channel is a top boost circuit essentially. So it's, uh, you know, it's got the, the base and treble and mid, if I recall, (laughs) it's been a while, uh, and a volume and, um, and that would be a standard top boost circuit.
2: You know, it's something to think that top boost was probably them trying to answer to the fact that people were coming out with treble boost pedals and things like that.
1: well, top boost really, all it was, was the EQ. So, uh, Essentially, essentially, a Vox, uh, signal path-wise, is a marshal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the EQ yeah. points are a little different, uh, uh, but the architecture is the same. It's a gain stage, it's a cathode follower, and then the power section. It's exactly the same um, makeup. It's just that um, the EQ is a little different. It's got a 50 picofarad treble EQ, and it's got a couple different uh, pot values uh, and a few different values throughout the preamp. But essentially, the architecture is a, is, is a marshal or a basement. Uh, it started with a basement, then it went to a marshal, then it went to the vox. So um, it's, it's really the architecture or the blueprint of the signal path is the same in all those amps. It's just some choices of parts. Um, so, I mean, in, in a lot of respects, a cranked-up top boost Vox, a real Vox, a real original Vox, sounds a lot like a Marshall. Um, so, which sounds a lot like a 410 Basement.
2: Yeah, and a lot of that- <laughs> Use a lot of guys in those days would use AC 30s in that contest. Like a lot of people probably don't realize that Richie Blackmore used an AC 30 on the uh, Machine Head record quite a bit.
1: Yeah, and and Jimmy Page used an AC 30 throughout his career too, a bunch. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean it, and uh, I mean I have one. I mean I, I'll maybe one day I'll make a video where I'll show the difference. Uh, I I mean I have a copper top top boost ac 30 and i can do it with an amp switcher yeah. into the same cabinet and show the difference between my 50 watt marshall and it, it's not going to be that much it's not that much different
0: <laughs> that'll be interesting to hear yeah I yeah hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: it can be super aggressive it's 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 interesting
0: that's fun that's you know? cool um Martin Addison has a uh, comment. He said, you are right. I saw Mike, Mike Campbell at the Viper Room, and they were full volume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it just depends
1: on the artist, man. If, if it's a big artist, they won't say shit. <laughs> that's the way it is. That's the way it works. Um, yeah. That's the way it works. And I don't believe a, a good a friend of mine who is a, gr- a friend of mine, We've had on the show before Tom Abraham. He's a uh, award-winning sound front house guy. He's worked with Keith Urban. He's worked with uh, Allison Shane's. He's worked with Garbage. He's an amazing, probably one of the best sound guys I know. Period. And um, he goes, I don't care. It's whatever everyone's comfortable with on stage. He goes, I can work with whatever you're comfortable with on stage. Mm-hmm. If that means it's a hundred watt amp on ten, that's fine. I'll work with it.
3: Yeah.
1: And I, I can make that work out front. It's not an issue. And he's dealt with some people that have literally tested that and that I've 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 seen before and where where their little area of guitar land is the living volume hell over there, you know. And, I mean, it, it, it would, like, literally deafen you. Um, but, out front, everything is heard equally. It can be done.
2: Oh, it can be done, yeah. <laughs> it
1: can can be done. Right. Maybe it's a slight bit more work for the front-of-house guy. But it, it can be done. There's a balance.
0: Well, I certainly hope it goes back at some point to amps on stage and enough of this.
1: It, it still exists, man. It still exists. You know, I was, when I was over the summer, uh, this last summer, I was in a, at a festival louder than life festival in Louisville. And I was seeing all the bands that were playing and they had amps on stage, man. good. Okay. I, I mean, I didn't see one modeler the whole day. Well and, and it was all real amps on stage. Some of them were rented, obviously, but uh it was all real amps on stage and they were playing them live. And uh imagine that. Jeez. It was a rock you, festival, think, of course, but you know, hey. Yeah. <laughs> here's the thing too about the live vol or
2: the loud volume too, and the amps and the marshals and so forth. In recent years I've done some shows with Driving and Crying, a band that's from here, out of Atlanta, and and you know the gig called for a fifty watt Marshall half stack, and and I would bring that out, and the the big thing when you use that, it's all about dialing in the tone, and it's just mm-hmm. making sure it doesn't sound shrill, yeah, it sounds fat and big, and when you when you play like that amp. I would I'd use a, a late seventies fifty watt master volume head into a basket weave four twelve. And mm-hmm. so the basket weave would you know, it would yeah, yeah. Use off some of the high end a little bit uh-huh. perfectly and and you just make sure that you didn't have too much treble dial in and would you're playing at that volume like I was playing pretty much the thing full on and re- you ride the volume on the guitar.
1: And it's yeah, a, basically, if your tones are together, the sound guy complains way less. He,
2: exactly, <laughs> you know, and he can, you know, you're following. I'm following Kevin Kenny, the singer, and you got to really bring the volume down at at really gentle parts. And then there's parts when it goes to where it's on ten, yeah. and it's roar, you know. And yeah. so you're every bit as much a part of it as the guy out front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it was the same deal i even had kevin ask me to turn up one night and already had the amp up to where all i could do was really just angle the cabinet more towards him yeah and then you know beyond that the front of house guy chris he just he was fine with whatever you gave him the very same thing he said i don't care it
1: sounds great out here yeah 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 that's a good sound guy (laughs) right yeah (laughs) it was you know it it, yeah yeah, if your sounds are together and it sounds great on stage, the sound guy will go, wow, that sounds amazing. Okay, great. And if you're playing really loud on stage, you,
2: as long as you know dynamics, if you know just the, whoa, I'm supposed to back off here, you know. That's all you got to do. That's really simple. It really makes you, and when you listen back to those guys back in the day, you know, Hendrix and everybody that were using the hundred watt stacks, that's what they were doing. You know, they were dropping back to, you know, rolling the guitar back to two or three if they needed to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a, it seems to be a lost art. Um, Yeah. It's lost art for sure. Uh, Rusty Milner. Thank you for the super chat. Really appreciate that. Um, we had a question from Rhett Schull. Uh, Peter, after buying the Ox, do you think you'll start to use it live? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't really thought
2: about that. I mean, I could. I doubt it. You know, just because of the way we're set up, we can still use just amps the way they are. Uh, amps, but it Mike. could be helpful. I could see it possibly being helpful to the guy out front gives him another sound, but I don't know. i uh, we've sort of got it We've got to drill down as it is, you know, we've sort of got our routine down and, um, I was actually prepared. I was actually set to bring out a Marshall on this next run. That's a uh, silver Jubilee. One of the smaller twenty-five fifties. fifties, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that I bought recently in it. It gets a really good sound at a lower volume, and A B it. Plan on A Bing it with a Ampeg that I have, a GU12.
1: Oh, cool! It's a really good
2: clean sound. Mm-hmm. And and between those two, you know, you get. You, you I've got everything. It's there, you know. So I but I could totally see the Ox working. I know other people that use the Ox, in a live situation, and I would probably say, dare say that that would be more along it be it might serve me better i'll put it that way than the camper because you're still using a real amplifier and you can get all the control of the amplifier especially with the volume knob and still push a cabinet with it you know it's got a speaker route so you can run a cabinet and then it attenuates the cabinet and you know you got all those other cool things i got to tell you the software that comes with the ua aux it's great no, it's amazing. It's it's really incredible. And they've done a tremendous job with all the presets that they've designed themselves. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a fabulous, you know. Like I said, I got all excited when I got it because now I can start using all these amps that I haven't been able to turn on here in the basement.
0: Right, forever. exactly, yeah, because now you can turn on these amps and play it, you know, crank them up and play a great volume. And plus it comes with, reverb and all these delays and you know it, yeah <laughs> yeah you can put 1176 on it yeah it's amazing right i love it it's a lot of fun just just going through the presets like you mentioned also um we got a question from uh vilco he says pete and dave's thoughts on classic pegs
1: dave you want to start on that uh you know what i'm i'm I am not the huge Ampeg... I mean, I've repaired a bunch over time. Obviously, Ampeg SVT is amazing for bass, a vintage one. Uh, uh, As far as the Ampeg guitar amps go, um, uh, I'm not an aficionado of those amps. So, um, Although I have repaired several of them over the years. uh, They tend to be very... For me, they tend to be very brutal... Uh, in their uh, uh, approach, so meaning a lot like an SVT is, it's just very immediate. Um, uh, they are cool amps, so I mean, I got to admit. I mean, you know, uh, except you know, well, wait, well, now it depends on what. Let me let me backtrack. I am thinking more of the. Um, the head. So now, if you're talking reverb rocket or something, um, that is a super cool guitar amp uh, for me. Um, so I don't know, Peter, you have a more of an Ampeg love, I think.
2: Yeah, I'm big into the Ampeg. Yeah, yeah and, and I love them and sort of went through a whole Ampeg phase and it started from the Rolling Stones and everybody. And it's yeah. the ones that I'm into. Are the Stones-era ones, like the late 60s. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do show-and-tell a little more. Oh, yeah, cool, uh, fun. Um, you know, like the V2. Right. You know, the V2 head is the one. And that cabinet that's sort of tucked in the corner down below, mm-hmm. which never left this basement, is one of the original late 60s 412 cabinets.
1: Oh boy, yeah, uh huh.
2: I that remember those. Think was a six twelve, but it's it only has four Altec four seventeens in it. Hmm. So it is the get your yah yahs amp sound, you know, uh, yeah. And which is why I got it. So with that head, you can totally dial in the Mick Taylor, Keith Richards sound from that period. And then, touch back there, you can see that is a an, an Ampeg Jupiter head. Now, mm-hmm. it's sort of an oddball from that period that is a really clean-sounding amp and has that crazy tremolo, echo-sounding tremolo on it. Mm. Uh, that's, a, that's a 212 cabinet they made that's actually sort of rare that is a really just a really good proper size. And then there's the GU-12 that I've got down there, and I use this all the time. And and I put an Altec 417C in that one as well, but man, I I love them. I I have one out on the road. I will say that the early ones, you know, are not very roadworthy. You know, yeah. they're they you know probably with their age and everything, they have that suspension, the chassis and all that, and so. Yeah. We ended up having problems with mine. It got it. It's kind of bit beat up out there on the road, you know. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know how much longer I'll use them for that reason. But uh, you know, that's for the late ones like that. But sonically, they're their
1: own thing. They sound great, you know. Yeah, yeah, they're unique in their in their in their tone for sure. That's yeah, it cool. really cool. are.
0: Um, awesome. Uh, Johnny Gardner has a question. Hey, Peter, how do you set up your sound? Is that amp clean and you hit it with an OD or do you have it breaking up? Love that stonesy sound.
2: I usually, well, thank you. I usually use it. Um, uh, I have it to where it's overdriving a little bit on its own or I, I use two amps. And so lately, yeah, on the last, Run. I was using the Ampeg GU12 and a, a Princeton that I modified. In the Princeton, I I put a, a a stouter output transformer and did the preamp. You know, just really minor stuff to the preamp where I was trying to make it replicate more of the sound of a um, Vibrolux, to where I had the headroom of a Vibrolux. Um, mm-hmm. So that would be the clean amp, but, but as that Ampeg, I always have it to where it's just slightly breaking up so that when I kick on an overdrive pedal, it really will put it over the top. So yeah, I do the combination of both. I have it to where it gets a good sort of good, gritty kind of sound on its own. And then, yes, I use, like, I have three different, um, overdrive pedals for different sounds.
0: Great. Yeah. Awesome. I, um, Let's see, uh, we'll go through just, we've got a few more questions. Um, Rusty, he says, uh, are you planning, are you playing Rock Rockin' on the Runway this October?
2: Yes, I plan on it. <laughs>
0: Good so,
1: question. <laughs> that,
2: you know, if, if they can stage it, if they're still able to stage it, I would love to. We have a blast with that, yeah. That is an event in Greenville, South Carolina. It's a fundraiser. And it's the uh, the group that puts it on is called Arizona Children's Charity. And it's not out of Arizona. Arizona was a steakhouse in Greenville, South Carolina. The owners uh, had started this charity years back and they brought on Jeff Carlisi of 38 Special, I believe, Mm. initially to assemble the bands, Uh, you know, an all star lineup of players and so each year they get all these guys that are, you know, unknown players, and get guest guys to come in. And Jeff's a really good friend, and and fortunately he, he invited me in to jump in. I've done two of them so far, and they're always a blast. Yeah, they're great. So yeah, hopefully in October. It's always in October, and it's followed up by a uh, a, a golf game on Monday, on the following Monday.
0: Well, fingers crossed that this stuff can happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no kidding.
0: Hope so. Until um, next year, you know, before we get out. Who knows? It may be. It may be. I mean, it seems, well, who knows? Um, L Scott Music. Are all your amps plugged in? Do you have an Amp peat switcher? An, an Amp what switcher?
1: There you go. That answers that. <laughs> <laughs> uh amp pete is a uh multi-amp switcher for the studio oh oh oh, okay Um, you can do like eight amps into one cab or eight amps into eight cabs
2: right okay really cool man any kind of thing no you know way back when the come on come on record came out and i was using the Bradshaw setup i had five amps i believe Mm. Yeah doing switching between five amps but they each had their respective cabinet
1: yeah i mean this can literally switch between eight of your amp heads and any number of your cabinets it's great for your studio if you want to know more about that contact me okay yeah i'll check it out it's it's super cool for being able to just easily get to all your amps you know
0: yeah, yeah, especially now you have That'd the aux. Be, and,
1: and click while you're doing a track, you know, just like, I want this one. I want that cabinet. I want this.
2: <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. could see that totally being – I could use that around here. I think to answer your question on the on the road, you know, the simpler the better, really. You know, it's it, it actually can be difficult just with the two amps because it's not only the main rig that we take out. But a lot of times the way nowadays, um, you know, you have to be prepared for all of a sudden a gate comes up on the opposite coast. So then you have to use rental back line in the middle of the tour and then fly with either a second pedal board or, you know, a second batch of guitars get shipped out, things like that. So there's always stuff that comes up to where you don't have your ultimate rig. So... I sort of prefer to keep it a little more simple. So two amps is about the most I'll go. Clean, yeah. a little, something with a little more grit. And, the, and then that way, I can rely on the pedal board and the pedals to do the rest.
0: Perfect. Yeah, sure. Awesome, no, that's great. Makes sense, I like it, simple. Yep. yep. Um, so I think we're gonna wrap up. It's getting kind of late, and uh, we've gone through yep. most of the questions. So. I want to thank you, Peter. Really, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it was awesome to have you. Um, my apologies on the uh, to everybody when I started the show with the issues, but uh, really awesome to have you on. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's great talking with you both. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Peter,
1: it was good. It was good seeing you again. I haven't seen you in a while. I know it is.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah it's been a while.
1: Years maybe. <laughs> in Marshall,
2: Florida, right? I am in Florida. Yeah. Well. Well, to hook up if uh, if
1: and win. I, I hope so. <laughs>
2: that would be awesome. There, there will be a win. And Dave, yeah, likewise, man. Next time I come out, I'll, I'll look forward yeah, to it.
1: Yeah, please do, man. Please do. Maybe maybe we can actually go somewhere and have a drink.
2: That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, funny. absolutely.
1: Yeah, you can only hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and
2: it'll happen. It'll happen. Well, well,
1: well, they are starting to open restaurants again now, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll have our mask with a straw through this interview. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like thinking through the side, you know, like a little straw in there from our margaritas, you know. The only problem comes when you have a chip. You want a chip. It's like, what do I do now? <laughs> Shit, I got to take <laughs> Fuck. Oh,
3: ow, oh. Yeah,
1: right. You know, I, I was talking to Pete Thorne about this today. I'm yeah. like, we were like, so they're opening up. So does that mean we should go or no or i'm not sure really maybe i would be okay with it if it's a certain restaurant and it's there's outdoor patio maybe you know like and there's spaced out i would prefer an outdoor patio spaced out yeah. like you know i wouldn't have really a problem with it an outdoor thing spaced out and you know oh. um so so all the restaurants that have an outdoor patio are are going to be lucky here, oh, because. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're making some legislation where they can like actually spill out into the uh, sidewalks now, so they can space out their, um, their tables, tables yeah. and things. And I really feel sorry for the restaurants because they're yeah. getting fucked, man. Yeah. They're Fuck. fucked, man. And 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 then coming back, coming back like this hey, you can open your restaurant, but, oh, you can only have half capacity? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not right, but it's just on a financial standpoint for the restaurant, it's fucked.
2: Yeah, it is. You know,
1: the whole outside thing,
2: you're right. I mean, I've seen places around here in Atlanta. Like you said, the restaurants that already had a patio, great. They're doing fine. And I've seen others to where they're spilling out same way they're spilling out on the, um, on, on the sidewalk, side yeah. the street. And it reminded me of the one time we went to Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. And somebody took us into this area where at night, that's what the, the, they weren't even restaurants. They were like yeah. fish markets or whatever. Yeah, And they would bring out the folding tables. Street food on the street and you would walk past and you, you know, they'd have styrofoam coolers with live fish in it and you'd point out what you'd want. <laughs> they'd take it in and cook it for you and bring it out. And you set the table and the Hong Kong, you know, the city would just sort of overlook it. It was just something that was done, you know, to where they'd set yeah. up and totally have to block off the street.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, there were, there was a restaurant here. Um, a relatively famous restaurant that was um, Vitello's. I mean, you might know Vitello's. Vitello's, uh, that was the famous Robert Blake restaurant. Mm, Okay. (laughs) But uh, Vitello's uh, uh, um, was selling their parking spaces. So they were booking their parking spaces in their parking lot. So it all started with someone came in and goes, hey, I'm, I'm going to get some carryout food, but can I eat this in your parking lot? And they're like, sure. I mean, I don't see a problem with that. You're in your own car, by your own car. You're... So they started, like, booking their spots in the parking lot. To just sit and eat. Yeah. But, but, like, spaced out, like, way spaced out. And these people were bringing their own little picnic tables and stuff to set up with a little chair and a and, and literally like a uh, uh, tablecloth and everything for their little table and everything. And they they were sitting there and they were talking to their friends, but their friends were like a good damn eight feet or ten feet away, you know. Hmm. Yeah. And they were talking to them. They were just shouting, you know, talking and 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 they were getting around it somehow. And and I'm like going, well, that's a, that's a very inventive way of of making of the situation, you know, like making dude, making dude, the best dude. out of the situation that they could. Yeah, I mean, this is a restaurant that's trying to survive. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I have a bar at the end of my street, literally at the end of my residential street, across the Burbank Boulevard, and. Um, and they, they were selling their, they they actually put up a store and they were selling their stock liquor out of their bar. You know they're trying to sell everything off they had, hmm. you know, just to try to make it. Wow. And unfortunately, that bar does not serve food of any kind, so they're not.
0: oh, that's not, not going to
1: come back anytime real soon. Um, yeah. I, I guess if you, I guess the restaurants if you serve food you can if you buy food you can order a drink yeah so like some restaurants can reopen uh limited capacity but if it's a bar and if they have food if you order food you can if you order a hamburger at the bar you can get your drink
0: <laughs> right but if they yeah but they're not you opening know, up bars
1: you know but not not all of it and uh, unfortunately uh um i i hope all these Places can survive in some fashion, because it's a shame to see people like um, just utterly cave and fail. You know, it's horrible.
0: Yeah, it is horrible. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, we hope everybody is healthy. Yeah. and stays well.
1: Think, think out of the box, people. Everything you can do is think out of the box.
2: Yeah, that's that's the one good thing that can come from all this. Hopefully, is we'll see a lot of yeah inventiveness, creativity. Yeah. and
1: Please, please try to think out of the box,
0: you know. And some new music, maybe. Yes. That That's be- what I'd love to see, but I, I don't know if I'm yeah. seeing it. <laughs> well, hopefully people are working on it in, in private. Yeah,
1: man. It'll
0: be, yeah. It'll be cool to see what comes out in the next year. But uh, all right, guys. All right. Have a great weekend. Peter, thank you, man. Yeah, hang, nice on, see you. hang on one second, Peter, while we, while we hang up. Thanks, everybody. See you next yeah, show. Thank you.